Hello and welcome back to the Come Follow Me Bible Challenge. My name is Jeremy Howard, pastoring at Orchard Hills Bible Church in Payson, Utah. If you live in the Payson, Utah area, would love to meet you. Would love for you to join us for Bible study sometime. You could meet us on Wednesday nights. We have Bible study at 7, or you could swing by on a Sunday morning. All the information you need is at orchardhillsbiblechurch.com, or if you're watching this on Facebook, just check out our Facebook page for all the relevant info. Well, something that you may not know about Orchard Hills Bible Church, this uh, amazing fellowship of people where I have the privilege to serve in the capacity as a pastor, is that we have a priest. Now, uh, you may know a little bit about Christian religions, denominations, I should say, uh, the way that different churches are structured and think, a Bible church, they, they don't have priests. You would say to yourself, self. I had a teacher in high school that would do that. I said to myself, self, uh, Bible churches are kind of like Baptist churches. Baptists don't have priests. And you would be uh, halfway right that, yeah, we're, we're kind of like Baptist churches, but we do have a priest. Uh, how could that be, you might ask? You're not Roman Catholic. You're not Anglican. You're not Eastern Orthodox. Those denominations, those groups have priests, but you, you're this low church kind of denomination. We're non-denominational. You're this like low church movement where you're not into all the formal stuff, including priests. Well, we have a priest. I, I'm just here to tell you, we have a priest. Now you, you won't be able to like swing by and shake his hand. Um, you're not going to be able to enter into the confessional booth where he's, you know, located to hear you confess your sins uh, to him. Uh, it's not like that at all. I could tell you his name, though, and I would love to set up a meeting with him, with you and him. <laughs> okay, this is getting a little weird. Uh, some of you are already ahead of me and know who I'm talking about, and I'm talking about Jesus. Jesus is our priest, and he's not just any priest. He is our great high priest. He is the great high priest of all of the church. We are just one expression of God's church. God's church does span different denominations, spans different continents, nations, tribes, tongues, languages, God's church is the fullness of all the believers in Jesus Christ around the globe. We are just a local expression of that. Yet we all have the same priest who is Jesus Christ. And it's very, very important that we have a priest, because if we didn't have a priest, we would have no one who would be able to intercede for us before the Father. We would have no one who could mediate between us and the Father. We would have no one who would... Uh, bring us to the Father as the way. But Jesus, being our great high priest, serves all of those functions, and he's our advocate before the Father. It's, it's pretty amazing. The Bible uses all of this imagery uh, to talk about Jesus's role. And he is a, a unique priest in that when you read through the Bible in the Old Testament, you'll see that there were lots of priests set up according to the law. Back in the book of Exodus, Aaron, Moses' brother, he was given uh, the Levitical priesthood initially, where his sons, 
the men from his line would become priests, as he was initially a priest, serving a very specific function in Israel uh, to mediate between the people and God, particularly in dealing with their sins, which you can read all about in Leviticus 16 for Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, when the priest would enter into the holiest of holy places within the tabernacle once per year to make atonement for the sins of the people Israel. So um, there were lots of different priests. As Aaron died, there's another one, and as that guy died, there's another one, and on and on it went. And uh, actually, it got more specific where it wasn't just anyone who was a descendant of Aaron, but later on in Numbers chapter 25, God said specifically it would be descendants of Phineas who would be the Levitical priests in Israel. Yet there's another priesthood that's mentioned in the Old Testament, and it's only mentioned twice. It starts in Genesis 14, and it's repeated in Psalm 110. In Genesis 14, Abram meets this man Melchizedek. We don't know anything about Melchizedek other than he was king of Salem, and he was also a priest. I guess we also know that he was greater than Abram because Abram paid him tithes. And Abram's great-grandson Levi, who was in his loins, from whom the Levitical priesthood came, Levi, Levite, Levitical, um, Levi was in Abram's loins, and he paid Melchizedek tithes, showing that Melchizedek was greater than Abram and greater than Levi, and his priesthood was greater than the Levitical priesthood that would eventually be established, starting with Aaron, who was a, everybody together, Levite. Right, okay. So Melchizedek just shows up. We don't know who his parents are. We don't know how he died. We don't know any of the details about his life other than this interaction that he had with Abram as king of Salem. And it's a pretty amazing event. You should read about it in Genesis 14. And then we also get this mention of him in Psalm 110. Again, the only two places in the entire Old Testament where Melchizedek is mentioned. All right, and let me let me show you Psalm 110, the first four verses of that psalm. Psalm 110.1, it says, this is a psalm of David. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord will stretch forth your strong scepter from Zion, saying, rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will volunteer freely in the day of your power in holy array, from the womb of the dawn, your youth are to you as the dew. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever according to the order of, here it is, Melchizedek. Wow. Well, let's look at how this psalm starts. David proclaims, the Lord says to my Lord. If we're using the Hebrew words here, it would say, Yahweh says to Adonai, my Adonai. The Lord says to my Lord. We have, we have two persons, one speaking to the other, one named Yahweh speaking to the one referred to as Adonai. David says, my Adonai. So what's interesting is David joins himself to the latter. He doesn't join himself to Yahweh, though of course he was joined to Yahweh, but in this phrasing, he's joining himself to the second one, the Adonai. The Lord says to my Lord, and what does Yahweh proclaim to him? 
Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. So Yahweh is saying to David's Lord that he is going to reign. He will be king. Uh, It mentions a scepter in that passage, and that he's going to rule over his enemies. His enemies will be put below him as an ottoman, (laughs) as a footstool is what it says, a footstool for his feet. A pretty vivid image there. But not only is David's Adonai, his lord, a king with a scepter, scepter according to verse 2, but he's a priest. In verse 4, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You, again speaking to David's Lord, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Wow. You are a priest forever according to this priesthood that Melchizedek had. Not to the priesthood that Aaron and his descendants and Phineas and his descendants had, not that Levitical priesthood, but according to the priesthood that Melchizedek had. And what's really operative there in that proclamation is that this is a forever priesthood. Melchizedek shows up on the scene. He has no beginning of days or no end of days. As the text reads, we don't know anything of his genealogy. And he's a priest. Now, there are some Bible interpreters who will say this Melchizedek was just a king in Salem, Salem being what Jerusalem was before the Jeru was added to the beginning. He was king in Jerusalem at that time. He was a like a type of Christ, someone who foreshadowed the role of Christ who would be king and priest. And uh, th- he was a real guy, but he was just a creature who ruled and died, and that was it. Other people say Melchizedek was actually a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus himself. And we see this in the Old Testament where Jesus appears before he's born to the Virgin Mary. The Son of God makes manifest his presence in particular ways. Even in Genesis, just a few chapters later, Genesis 18, the Lord and two angels appear to Abraham. And so it happens. And some people will look at this Melchizedek event and say that's what was happening there is that that was actually Jesus pre-incarnate. And everything we talk about Jesus in the New Testament is Jesus post-incarnate, where he has taken on a body, he's been born, he's lived and died and ascended into heaven after his resurrection. So those are two schools of thought on that. Well, as we get to Hebrews today, that's now where we're ending up now that we're 11 minutes into this. In the book of Hebrews, the author of Hebrews takes on this subject of Jesus's similarities to Melchizedek. Now, he doesn't come out right and say Melchizedek was Jesus. If so, that would end that debate on who Melchizedek was, right? So he doesn't say that. Um, I kind of lean that direction, just so you know, but I don't think it's super critical which position you take on that. But let's jump into Hebrews 7, where he talks about Jesus having the priesthood of Melchizedek, Jesus, of course, and I kind of just skipped over this because I got sidetracked. Jesus is the one being spoken of in Psalm 110. When the Lord says to my Lord, your enemies will be a footstool for your feet. You will rule with your strong scepter. You will be king, and you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. It's talking about the Son of God there. The Father is speaking to the Son, and he's proclaiming these things over him. They are both Lord. They are two distinct persons, but they are the one true God. 
All right, so um, you have that going on in the Old Testament. Well, in Hebrews now that Jesus has come, he's died on the cross in our place for our sins, he's risen again, he's sat down in heaven where he's ascended at the right hand of the majesty on high after he made purification for sins. We now have this author of Hebrews making connections between the person of Jesus and the work of Jesus and Melchizedek. All right, so we're going to jump into Hebrews chapter 7, and this is going to be in the New Living Translation because it's a bit easier to understand. Hebrews can be a difficult book to, uh, to understand. New Living Translation will make that a little bit easier. Okay, so Hebrews 7, starting in verse 11, it says, So if the priesthood of Levi, on which the law was based, could have achieved the perfection that God intended, why did God need to establish a different priesthood? with a priest in the order of Melchizedek instead of the order of Levi and Aaron. And if the priesthood is changed, the law must also be changed to permit it. For the priest we are talking about belongs to a different tribe whose members have never served at the altar as priests. What I mean is our Lord came from the tribe of Judah, and Moses never mentioned priests coming from that tribe. So you can imagine the uh, perplexity as this author's writing to Hebrews, those who were very familiar with the Old Testament and the law. The perplexity that they would have when he's talking about Jesus being a priest and how he's a, a priest who is better than all the other priests. Because in their minds, you've, you've just got a priest. He, he's from this line, of uh, this genealogy. He's of the tribe of Levi. He has a specific function. He dies, and another one comes who's from that same line. He has the same function, and he dies, and on and on it goes. Well, the author of Hebrews is here saying that Jesus, our Lord, came from the tribe of Judah. He comes in with a different priesthood, and there's a change to the law to permit this priesthood because... The law only talks about the law uh, or the um, priesthood of Levi. And so there's something different going on, both with the priesthood and of necessity, the law. Things have changed in the person and work of Jesus. He's making a lot of big statements that I think will continue to become clear here. Let's uh, keep reading. Verse 15. This change has been made very clear since a different priest, who is like Melchizedek, has appeared. Jesus became a priest, not by meeting the physical requirement of belonging to the tribe of Levi, but by the power of a life that cannot be destroyed. And the psalmist pointed this out when he prophesied, You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Yes, the old requirement about the priesthood was set aside because it was weak and useless. Wow. So he's helping these Hebrews to understand that Jesus is their Messiah. He's the one who has come to offer salvation to all people. And in so doing, he's delivering them out of the old covenant, this system of uh, works, not for salvation, but a system of works of the law, the law of Moses, for their sanctification. He's now offering them a new way of living in a new covenant with a new priest who holds his priesthood forever, who offers eternal life. So um, that's what's going on in Hebrews chapter 7, which is pretty amazing. And you could see there he called on David in Psalm 110 saying, 
David was talking about Jesus, that he is a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. And the only way he qualified for such a a forever priesthood, an eternal priesthood, is because he has an indestructible life. He has in himself eternal life. And so the fact that he has no beginning of days, Jesus, he's not a creature, he is eternal creator. The fact that he is eternal creator and he died and rose again in the flesh, showing that he could not be put to death. Uh, he could not be ended in his being. Uh, he was put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. And he ascended into heaven and continues to live forever. This is showing that he qualifies for the better priesthood, the priesthood from the order of Melchizedek, not the priesthood from the order of Levi. And this is really important because what's the best that you could do when it comes to the priesthood that comes from Aaron the Levitical priesthood in the Old Testament. What's the best case scenario? Best case scenario is you try really, really hard to keep the law, the Ten Commandments. We'll just start with that. You try really, really hard to keep the Ten Commandments. You fail. You wait until the appropriate time for an offering. Um, The priest makes an offering, if nothing else, at least that once-a-year offering um, Yom Kippur, Leviticus 16 talks about. And when that happens... You kind of feel like a clean slate, though, even before the offering would happen. If you had faith in God, God would respond to your faith and you would be forgiven. But you still had to do those sacrifices because this is all according to law. You're under the law. You have to pay attention to the law for sanctification. You have to pay attention to the law for these offerings and the ceremonies. And so you just go through this over and over again, and then you you rely on your priest to be able to do his duties. Okay, there's a lot of a lot of pressure put on the priest. There's only one priest in Israel according to the line of Aaron, only one at a time. And you you hope that he's doing everything he's supposed to do, that he's remaining pure as he's supposed to be so that he can function as a mediator on your behalf. And, you know, he'll get old and he'll die, and then there's another priest, and so you just rely on the, the next priest, and that just goes on and on, and that's all you got. Well, with Jesus, and this is what the author of Hebrews is doing, with Jesus you have a new priest with a new priesthood. That is no longer about maintaining a system of law-keeping for your sanctification. It's no longer about relying on somebody performing an act year after year, over and over again, to make you feel clean. It's, it's no longer about uh, waiting to see who's next in line because, okay, we, maybe you have a bad priest for a while, and now you're waiting for the next guy in line so you can get a good priest in there who will do a better job on your behalf. Instead, you see in the person of Jesus a priest who is able to save to the uttermost, a priest who is able to take care of you perpetually, perfectly, a priest who has already forgiven you of all sin, all sin, as the one who offered himself as the final sacrifice and the one who entered through the veil as the eternal priest, the one who offers life and forgiveness and love unconditionally. I mean, it's just an amazing thing. It's much, much better than that system in the Old Covenant. Now you no longer look to works of the law, a list of works of the law for your sanctification, but you look to a person, you look to this eternal priest for your sanctification. And he draws you nearer and nearer to God and changes you from the inside out. 
It's an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing that's happened. And Hebrews goes on to talk about this, and I'm going to switch back now to the New American Standard that I typically use, New American Standard 1995 Bible. Um, Listen to how the author of Hebrews phrases this at the end of chapter 7. Starting in verse 23, he says, The former priests, on the one hand, existed in greater numbers because they were prevented by death from continuing. But Jesus, on the other hand, because he continues forever, holds his priesthood permanently. Therefore, he is able to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was fitting for us to have such a high priest, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens, who does not need daily, like those high priests, to offer up sacrifices for, or first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people, because he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men as high priests who are weak, but the word of the oath, which came after the law, appoints a son made perfect forever. Wow. So Jesus is able to save forever those who draw near to God through him. And it says in verse 25 that he always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus always lives to intercede for those who have drawn near to God through him, those who have found their, the fullness of their salvation, the fullness of their exaltation in Jesus, the fullness of life in Jesus, not trusting in their own works or their own efforts, not going back to works of the law as a way to be made right in God's eyes or be made, uh, I don't know, superior but relying completely on the merits of Jesus, on the forgiveness offered in Jesus Christ, his one act of righteousness that totally transforms us because of his work. He is a high priest, it says in verse 26, who is holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, exalted above the heavens. There are so many systems of religion out there that have you rely on men who are unholy, who are guilty, who are defiled, who are not separated from sinners, but sinners themselves, joined with sinners, who are not exalted above the heavens, but very worldly. There are, there are some religions out there that will say, be joined to those guys and they'll advance your cause. Well, I'm telling you, no, that, that won't work. You have to give yourself completely, fully, totally to Jesus Christ in faith, recognizing that he is the best high priest. He's the only one you need to be the mediator between you and God. You can go to him right now, whether you're in your car, whether you're at the gym, whether you're on a walk, you can call out to Jesus Christ right now, and he will save you because he's already exalted in the heavens, and he's there to intercede for those who draw near to God through him, and that could be you. What an amazing thing. If you recognize that you are dead in your trespasses and sins, and there is nothing you can do to save yourself, You can call out to Jesus and rely on what he has done, that he would be your high priest forever who makes you right with God once for all. Isn't that a blessing? And isn't that an amazing thing about the book of Hebrews? Well, I hope you got something out of today. Thanks for joining me. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out. Would love to talk to you. And until next time, God bless.